Hi, I'm Brett Samuels, and welcome to the Open Mic Marketing Podcast. Each episode, I'll endeavour to give you insights and tips on a particular aspect of marketing, as well as introducing you to inspirational friends that I've met during my 20-year journey building Law Creative, one of Europe's leading integrated marketing agencies. On today's show, I'll be talking to Law Creative social media experts Vanessa Bunting and Charlotte Fish about content and how brands can cut through the sheer volume of crap out there. If you're invested in social media success, you'll not want to miss their advice. But before that, I'm proud and delighted to welcome our very first guest, Victoria Hansen. Victoria spent almost 20 years in executive assessment and development and is a business psychologist practitioner a member of the Association for Coaching. However, in April 2020, in response to the COVID-19 pandemic, Victoria established a community initiative in the West Midlands called Hampers for Heroes to send care packages to health and social care key workers. Since its inception, Hampers for Heroes has reached over 40,000 key workers, recognising the sacrifices they've made to keep us safe. Victoria, we came to know each other through your amazing work with Hampers for Heroes. So how did the initiative come about? So it came about because at the end of March in 2020, I had my diary emptied. And it was pretty shocking, as I'm sure it was for lots of people. I'm self-employed and I have been for 10 years. And I knew that if I just left my diary emptied, my mind was going to start to wander into all sorts of avenues such as uh, how I was going to pay the mortgage and put food on the table. So I was looking for some volunteering opportunities and of course the NHS Responders app was launched. It took a little while though for people to get on board with that and to start to use it. I spotted a post on social media from the partner of a nurse. It got lots and lots of traction and lots of comments in our local community about the sacrifices that so many people were making on the front line whilst we were being asked to stay at home. And later on in that evening, the nurse, who was Rebecca Philpott, came on herself and said, thanks so much for the words of support. If you'd like to do something tangible, we desperately need hand creams. And she put pictures of her hands and her arms onto the social media post. And it was pretty shocking because actually it wasn't just a matter of, oh, help us by buying a hand cream. It was the supermarket shelves are empty. This is not something you can just throw money at and it will sort itself out. And that's how it started, really. And I thought there's an opportunity to help. Amazing. I, I mean, from my experience of the amount of hand washing that's been done over the last sort of 12 months, my hands are in bits. So goodness knows what it's been like for NHS and key workers. So so that's how it started. But how did you make the jump? Because I suppose that it's one thing wanting to volunteer, but it's quite mm. another thing going on <laughs> on the journey that you have with Hampers for Heroes. Yeah, well, I put out a post on my own Facebook saying, has anyone got any hand creams? Have you got anything in the cupboard? And it was an overwhelming response. I mean, that I couldn't keep up with it. I drove round people's homes in the neighbourhood two weekends in a row with my daughter sat next to me and we'd, we'd pause and we'd go through a drive through and get a coffee and look at each other and go, what's going on in our lives, Nance? <laughs> this is just so bizarre. But what it showed me is that actually people really want to support other people. There is not a lack of kindness and support and empathy in our community. And within 10 days, actually, I'd collected lots of used hand creams, I'd disinfected them and sent them to the local hospital. But then I'd got some body shop at home consultants and Avon consultants who were doing something similar. And in 10 days, we'd got together 3,000 hand creams ready to send out. And I looked at it and thought, we really need to do this in a 
fair and a structured way so that we reach as many people as possible. I sat in my bed on a Sunday morning and thought, okay, let's set something up, let's call it Hampers for Heroes. And off we went on a pretty amazing journey, really. Uh, it's been incredible. And I've obviously been following it very closely and it's it's great mm-hmm. to see. And I think what's been really amazing is how the kind of concept has changed because obviously you, you started with the hampers and people requested those and, and who to send them to. And obviously th- yeah. that was a, a big part of it. But just tell me a bit about how that's changed during the pandemic and how the Hampers for Heroes offering has changed. Yeah, it was sending out hampers and initially it was just to the NHS. And then as more people were coming on board, they were saying, well, what about carers? Lots of NHS staff work in care homes. Then what about adult social care settings? What about mental health providers? And it was you know, a constant stream of there are so many people in our community who actually sacrifice so much on behalf of others that before we knew it, we were helping NHS carers, teachers, and key workers, you know, a massive proportion un- of our All the unsung heroes. Absolutely, the unsung heroes that you just wouldn't think about. The way it's evolved now is in January of this year, I was really fortunate to meet a lady called Ali Swift over Twitter. I mean, I'm not on Twitter very much at all. So I'd say it was another case of serendipity in the journey of Hampers for Heroes. She sent a message and said, well, it's amazing. I can't believe it's taken me this long to hear about Hampers for Heroes because I live in Solihull as well. She's a Reiki practitioner and she presents on Solihull Radio as well. And she's been through 10 years of suffering with anxiety and depression and she's tried various different therapies and interventions and she has an aim which is to help NHS and key workers to address the mental health toll of the pandemic to provide early access intervention from trusted providers that really helps them to get back onto an even keel, I guess, before the mental health toll really takes hold and they are in a place where it's difficult to come back from. So we're now broadening out to fundraise to provide that support. Yeah, it's, it's really impressive because I guess the initial need was very much around key workers being tired and needing that pick-me-up. And I guess that was a fairly short-term activity but of course as you say the long-term issues of mental health and what the impact of all this it certainly sounds like the hampers for heroes initiative could go on way past where maybe you thought it might yeah absolutely and of course we're now starting to look at it through a business lens and think about how we can be sustainable and right at the very beginning actually I remember speaking to my husband in the local park on, on our daily walks and just saying where could this go you know in terms of funding how do we make sure that we continue to recognize unsung heroes and key workers and he said well it's like a red letter day isn't it and that's what it is really I suppose eventually what we want to be is the kind of first port of call where if you want to say thank you to somebody in the community if you want to say thank you to a care home that's looked after your elderly relative or you've been in hospital want to say thank you to a ward or you want to say thank you to a teacher you immediately think of hampers for heroes and you come on to our marketplace and you order a hamper and what I haven't said actually is we've also opened a pop-up shop I'm sure we'll get onto that but that's also opened our eyes to the fact that there is a huge market out there in terms of corporate gifts so we'd like to explore that and in fact we have got an opportunity already to become a provider for some platinum awards for an NHS trust so every day it's changing we're very very keenly aware of the need to build a sustainable business model and the brands that you've helped us build in Hampers for Heroes I think and the work that we've done over the last 12 months provides a unique opportunity to do that and to keep doing positive work. 
we thought it was an amazing initiative and, and one we wanted to get behind. But on a selfish level, it was a real pick-me-up for mm. me as well. And seeing all the great work that you do was, a, you know, when you talk about mental health, it was definitely the kind of lift that I mm. needed to carry on, really. So that was, yeah, I, I think the benefit was reciprocated, definitely. And that's something that the volunteers are continually saying. So I'm doing a lot of media interviews, so I've got used to it. And every time they'll say, don't forget to talk about what it means for us as volunteers. And there's one lady in particular, Julie, and she's a body shop at home consultant. She's got four children. One of her sons has Down syndrome. And she was feeling very, very vulnerable Mm. at the beginning of the lockdown, the uncertainty of how it would affect her son, how it would affect her business. And she's in the shop this morning, actually. I've just popped in gone to Starbucks, got a coffee and I popped in to see her. It's just so lovely. And she's there with a big smile on her face, talking to the public, showing them pictures of the deliveries that we've done, talking about the future of our work. And she just looks happy and fulfilled. And given where we are 12 months into a pandemic, I think that's pretty incredible. And who knew that we would be able to achieve that? It's a sort of 360 degree pickup for everyone, isn't it? It helps the mm. people, the unsung heroes. It helps the people who are involved in it. It's, yeah, it's, it's been amazing. Victoria, tell me about some of the biggest challenges you've faced with Hampers, because I know funding has been a challenge and being a, a kind of community initiative versus a charity, that was tough as well. Mm. So tell me about some of the biggest challenges and, and how you've overcome those. The challenges are daily. And I keep having to say to myself, you know, if this was easy, it wouldn't be anywhere near as rewarding. So just try and embrace that. But it's very difficult on some days. So you've hit the nail on the head. I think that the kind of key thing is around funding. And of course, if you are a registered charity, then there are tax benefits, but that, you know, you are also kind of more interesting to some of the corporates who would fund you because they get match funding and they get tax benefits on that. So we had, just as a team of volunteers, we had a go at a charity application back in May. I mean, even that took us about four weeks with about eight of us working on it. And and when I say eight of us, I'm talking about consultants who have worked in the corporate world for 20 years and know their way around processes and buying structures and contracts. Within a week, we had a no <laughs> from the Charity Commission. And looking back on it now, and I think, oh, we, we were naive. We didn't know anything. We didn't know what a charitable need was, how silly. I remember sending it on to a corporate contact and had a response from him within 10 minutes and and the tone of the email was, oh, well, if that's the case, you probably need to scale back your ambitions and, you know, really think about just doing this on a smaller scale. And it was a bit like a dagger to a heart. And I know that sounds daft, but... We put so much into it. That spurred me on, I'm going to be honest. I still look back at that email and I go, I've watched Dirty Dancing recently with my daughter. No one puts baby in the corner. It's like, no one tells me what to do. (laughs) Um, And I just looked and I thought, absolutely no way. We're going to have another go. So back we went. We had another go. This time we worked with charity lawyers. We probably spent two months this time. We spent two and a half thousand and it took longer so it was being considered and that looked you know more positive and then probably two or three weeks later we had an email back from the charity commission with I don't know 14 different questions and this time I looked at it and thought well we just can't spend any more money that we haven't got trying to become a charity and I don't know whether this was another case of serendipity or whether I just convinced myself of it but we started to explore different options And then came upon being a social enterprise and a community interest company. And I have to say, I look at that now, nine months on, and I think it was staring me in the face. Actually, that is helping me achieve my life's purpose rather than meeting a short-term need. 
Yeah. So mm. you, tell me a bit more about the the pop up shop because I think on the face of it, you wouldn't necessarily think about a pop up shop for a community <laughs> initiative. So how did that come about? These walks have been handy, haven't they, in a pandemic? You know, the only thing that we could do was go out with our friends and family and have long walks. And on one of those long walks, I was talking to Sharon. Sharon is a good friend of mine. She's also a CFO. She came on board as a director pretty early on and we were walking up and down and we looked at, there's a Booper building pretty close to us. And I said, Sharon, could you imagine in our wildest dreams, we would have Hampers for Heroes wellbeing centres across the UK. They would be a community hub where people would come together. We'd do walk and talk therapies. We would offer wellbeing, we'd offer Reiki. All of those therapies would be under our brand and that rainbow brand. They'd be accessible, they'd be normalised, there'd be no stigma around getting that kind of support. And actually we'd be having much more connection with our community. We'd be speaking to each other again as we were when we stood outside our doors and clapped. And she was like, do you know what, Tor? Yeah, we can do that. We will do that. So when I met Ali in January, she had a similar idea because she's released two books now about well-being, My Wellness Toolbox. And she'd spoken to John Lewis in Touchwood and said, you know, when I launch my new book, can we have a bit of a well-being hub where I offer Reiki for free and we talk about well-being and the kind of tips that I've got that can help people? So taking that further, I said, well, do you know what, Ali? One of the things I really would like is to have well-being centres and being as we're from Solihull, it'd be great to have that. So, you know, wildest dreams, what might that look like? And we said, well, the, the future of the high street's changed and there's lots of empty stores. Let's approach Touchwood. And we did. <laughs> and uh, Ali sent an email to Touchwood. Tony Elvin came back within an hour. In a couple of days, we had a Zoom. We just pitched what Hampers for Heroes is all about and our ambitions. And within a week, we had signed up a six-week lease on a pop-up shop. Amazing. And tell me the kind of experience that I'd get if I went into the store. You'd walk into the store and you would see the visible rainbow there. So it's really striking. So on the front, you've got Hampers for Heroes and the rainbow. And on the other side, it says, thank you, NHS. And you've got the the kind of clapping hands. So visually, it's really striking. It stands out. And when you come in there, we've got a well-being area. So we have got uh, essential oils and we've got a sofa there. We're basically signposting people that might feel overwhelmed to local support groups that they can access. We've also got Ali's book. People can see and have a flick through that. We've got loads of things that have been donated to help people with their well-being, such as Rescue Remedy, gift sets. Nivea have been amazing in giving us gift sets. And we have got photos just all over the walls of some of the deliveries. We have now reached over 40,000 NHS and key workers, and we've put lots of photos of those deliveries on the walls. And so people, even on the first day, a lady was walking past the shop, stopped, Her husband said to her, oh, that's Hampers for Heroes. You had one of those delivered. They came in and they saw her photo on the wall. So that's just amazing because that happens daily. You'll get someone every day come in and they'll talk to you about what that meant. They'll talk to you about their experience. And it's the volunteers in the shop speaking to the community about what this year has been and felt like, what it meant to receive one of the Hampers. And then we're we're trying to fundraise. So we've put together water bottles, notebooks. We've got a hamper packing station where you can select items. We've designed a range of gift cards. It's just, it's it's it's, amazing. (laughs) It it sounds amazing. And, And it sounds to me the way that retail is heading now, it is about the experience and it is about the value that you get that you don't get when you go online and purchase something. So do you see the high street changing with more services-led offering than, than maybe traditional retail? 
it's about experience. So people are coming into shopping centres and coming to their local high street because it's an experience. So it's about the lifestyle that that can provide. It's not just popping in to buy something anymore. Who knows where this is going to take us, Brett, but I, you know, we've got three weeks left on the pop-up shop. Actually, where I'd like to get to is that throughout the summer we use one of their bigger stores and we do have Reiki practitioners in there. We do some talking therapy sessions when the COVID restrictions change and it becomes a place where you go and you have a good conversation, that you feel a connection to humans again, that you feel supported by your community. That's where I'd hope it to get to. I think it's a really good fit because obviously the, the brand Hampers for Heroes is very much about community and it was you know mm. community driven and it, it just seems that it's a really natural fit now for the store that it is a community hub and all those amazing offerings that you can fill it with it sounds like a a winner to me so I wish you wish you every success with that sounds great and just tell me Victoria now what's next for Hampers for Heroes in simple terms two different streams one is our income stream and the other is what we do with that funding so in terms of income stream we've already got an Etsy marketplace we want to build on that marketplace so the idea is that local organizations that are small providers can come on board think of it like a not on the high streets type of offering where you know they're good quality nice products that people are buying and accessing but they have the Hampers of Heroes brand on there and we extend that out The other income stream, as I've said, is in the corporate gifts market. We're trying to build that out and do a lot of work with corporates. So I'm hoping I can use those connections. So that's the income stream. And then what we are already doing is we've got a group of therapists already pulled together. Ali is leading that. We clearly need people to commit to that therapy. So we're thinking that they'll pay a small fee for that, which might be £10 or £20. Hampers for Heroes, then through our income, will heavily subsidise it. And the therapists themselves will take a small reduction in their fees to be part of our community. And we're hoping that by the end of June, those therapies will start to be delivered. And certainly, if we are able to extend our pop-up shop in Touchwood over the summer, we definitely will be doing lots of PR activity around that. Brilliant. Sounds really, really exciting. What's been your favourite memory so far? I'm sure there's hundreds, but if if you had to pick Mm. one, what would it be? There's one in particular that stands out, a picture of a lady who's a carer and it was a beautiful summer's day last year and it's it's really vibrant. She's in her nurse's uniform, she's in the community as a carer and she sent us a quote and it said, I thought as carers had been forgotten but receiving this hamper has shown me that we haven't, it means so much and it's just very powerful, it just really sticks with me. Yeah, amazing. I think that sort of sums sums it all up, doesn't it? And a very, mm. very nice sentence. That's, that's great. I'd love you to tell listeners how they can support Hampers for Heroes. So just tell them a bit about where they can see you, what they can do, how they can help. So our website, designed by Law Creative, is <laughs> hampersforheroes.net. You can go on there and you can read all about our story over the last 12 months. You can see a gallery of the deliveries that we've done. And really importantly, if you'd like to donate, there is a donate facility in there. So anything, we monitor that every day and you wouldn't believe the impact it has just when we get another donate email to say there's £10 been donated by someone and they're saying keep up the good work. That's a really positive thing. We are constantly growing our community of volunteers and that's really important for us right now because we are at a point where we're extending our services and we really need skilled volunteers who have got experience in marketing, for example, who want to come on and support um, the social media team. 
we also clearly need to put funding pitches together. So if anybody would like to volunteer and be part of that, even if it's just for a month because they've got a bit of a gap or if it's an hour a week, then come on there and send us a note for volunteering. Aside from that, we've set up our Etsy shop. So any small purchase on there, the money goes direct into funding those wellbeing services. And we've worked pretty hard on that range of products. So if you want to say thank you to a teacher, to a carer, thank you to anyone, frankly, who's been the hero in your life. There are wellbeing products in there, small things, larger hampers. So go and have a look at Hampers for Heroes on Etsy. Any sort of engagement, anything that helps us with our visibility. So following us on Facebook, which is Hampers for Heroes, on Twitter and Instagram, we are at Heroes Hampers. Sharing those posts, engaging with us really does help, particularly if you're on Twitter and you've got lots of followers. We're working really hard on that channel in particular. Brilliant. Thank you very much, Victoria. That was really interesting. So at the start of this podcast, I promised that I would give you marketing insights and tips on a particular marketing topic. And right now, getting your content right has never been more important. So I'm really pleased to introduce Vanessa Bunting, Head of Digital Marketing, and Charlotte Fish, Social Media Manager at Law Creative. Welcome to you both. Thank you, Brad, and hello. Hello. So guys, today we are talking about crap content and how there's an awful lot of it, particularly when it comes to social media. Vanessa, why do you think there is so much? There are many brands even today where the senior marketers think we can simply repurpose a lot of above the line content for social media. That simply does not work, sometimes because of the formats or because a TV advert will not work on Facebook. People go on Facebook because they are part of a community. They are looking for news. They're connecting with their friends and family. As a brand, you need to take this into consideration. It's not about disrupting the news feed, but having that two-way dialogue with your audience. Also, a lot of senior marketers still think of social media as easy. Therefore, small budgets are allocated. They think that production isn't as important. They also think that it's very easy to put a post on social media. You know, they just think Twitter is about a few tweets and therefore the lead times are reduced. However, it is so significant to have good quality on social media and it's very easy to engage with the right audience and your desired audience. Thank you, Vanessa. And I guess we've seen with our clients that during the pandemic, there's been a massive, massive uplift when it comes to social media usage. And fortunately for us, I guess we've seen some really great results off the back of that. But when we think about content relevance, what are some of the tactics that brands can employ? It's really important to keep generating content. At Law Creative, we actually run quarterly, monthly, and sometimes even weekly brainstorms. It's never just myself and Charlotte who get involved. We always involve the designers, the account handlers, or if there's anybody in the agency who's got relevancy with that brand. We support it with social listening. So at Law Creative, we actually use Pulsar, which is a social listening tool very similar to Crimson Hexagon. We have a look at what's trending, but also what other brands our audience is engaging with, their interests, what the share of voice looks like. We run a whole load of competitive analysis. So we're always on top of what the audience for our brand is searching for. 
On top of that, we look at formats. So, for example, we know on Instagram videos perform a lot better than static imagery. We ensure that the majority of our content has some form of animation. We also run a huge amount of A-B testing, as there's only so much we can do ourselves and we just don't know how the audience is going to respond. So at Law Creative, we work with a veterinary group and they have a lot of messaging. And me, as a huge dog lover, there's so much I can do with the messaging and the images that I select. And every month we run A-B testing across two or three posts and they'll contain anything from fluffy cats to puppies and the different messaging and the different call to actions. And a lot of the time we're really surprised by the results. But ultimately, good creative is important. It's about quality, not quantity. Each post should have relevancy. What do you want from the audience? Is it that you want them to watch it? Do we want them to comment? Do we want them to share it? You have to think about your brand's goals for every single piece. Thank you, Vanessa. And I think, you know, we've spoken a bit there about listening. We've talked about formats. We've talked about lots of testing. Charlotte, what kind of tactics do we employ when it comes to things like targeting? So it's really understanding who your audience is and who you want them to be. So a lot of the time your actual social media audience might be different to who you'd actually look to target. And it's making sure that actually you serve them with the content that they want to see as an individual. So the content that I like will be very different to the content that you like, Brett, and it'll be very different to what Vanessa likes. So it's making sure that your piece of content is going to the right person, because if it's not, they'll quickly turn off and they quickly be against wanting to be part of your brand on social media. And that's really important. So you're telling me you don't like cat videos because I really like those. <laughs> that's, that's just me. Okay, so we talked a bit about targeting. What, what about, I know for one particular client, we adopted a, a dark post strategy. Tell me a bit about that. Yes, yeah, so this particular health and wellness client had very different audiences. So it would range from their sort of 65-year-old retiree down to their 30-year-old gym addict training for a marathon so it was very different audiences that again would want very different content so whilst your feed can look beautiful and it can have more of the sort of middle messaging we'd say actually the 30 year old didn't want to see tips on arthritis and how to cope with it so it was actually looking at how do we add paid media behind that to make sure that it gets to our retiree audience and make sure that that content serves its purpose and it adds value to that particular audience but we're not turning off the 30 year old from the brand. I guess that's a really good tip if you're a brand with multiple different audiences. Yeah. Very good. And then just in terms of paid, so I hear you guys saying a lot now that all of the social channels are paid to play. Can you just tell me a bit more about that? Yes. So as socials developed in the last 10 years, there's obviously a lot more voices in the mix now. And that unfortunately has meant that over time it's become very much more of a paid to play platform you want to make sure that you're cutting through and getting to the right people and that is the beauty of paid media is that actually you can really narrow that down you can get your interest levels at the right so you'll make sure that you're actually reaching people who will connect with your brand and really get that engagement open so paid media allows that to happen and it allows you to really pick the ages the gender interests everything even towards similar brands like it makes sure that your budget is being used to its best purpose. And I know we'll, we'll come on to big brands versus smaller companies later on, but what is your advice for smaller companies who maybe haven't got the big media budgets that bigger brands have? I think it's don't be afraid of the term paid media. I think as soon as anyone hears that, 
they get scared and think, oh, suddenly I've got all this money that I need to plummet into a channel. The benefit of that is it actually doesn't have to be your bigger budgets. It can be anything from £20 a post up to 100 Like It can really vary from being very low to very high, depending on your brand. And small brands have really got the benefit of platforms at the moment. They really are what people are looking for. So a lot of people now will focus on actually wanting to find that small brand to support rather than the bigger brands that are obviously managing very well on their own. I think it's been a real shift, hasn't it, from the the pandemic. People seem to be a lot more willing now to support smaller brands and getting into kind of niche products and services. And uh, that seems to be a real trend. So, yeah, really good advice. Thanks, guys. So we've spoken a bit about relevance and we've spoken a bit about targeting and how we do that and some of the tactics we employ when we look at content how do we measure the success of that content so we really look at the results of that content so obviously when we put a piece of content out each post will have a different thing that we're looking for so whether that is a click-through rate that we're looking at whether it's actually comments and engagement that we're looking on the post so we really stay on top of analyzing that results and that's from when the content is actually live to then a month afterwards of let's see how that developed. So a lot of the time we focus on engagement rate. That is your ultimate sort of telltale of whether your audience are really enjoying your content. And that can really show you whether you need to change your tactics. So we look at engagement rate. If yours is flying high, then you know that you're doing the right thing. And if it's struggling then you know that maybe the asset itself isn't working so is it a static image and you start to look at what you can change as a brand and how you can develop that into something that does work so what would be your advice charlotte for a brand who has low engagement levels what are the sort of things that they should be thinking about so again don't be scared of your audience like they're there and we want to encourage that conversation so you can really strip this back to as basic as asking them what they want to see asking them how they want to engage with your brand on social obviously instagram stories you've got the ability to add polls you can really put everything out there for them to make it so easy for them to tell you exactly what you should be doing and that isn't a bad thing it's not a bad thing to put that out and have a brand say that it's just admitting of right we're here and we want to serve you and ultimately the audience isn't going to be afraid of answering that i had a a similar conversation with a a brand recently who said we we shouldn't really ask our audience because we should kind of know what we're about and what they want i think if you've got an opportunity to reach out to your audience and in an environment that they've already given you their sign up for, then I think that's a really good opportunity to get some feedback to shape the content moving forward. Exactly. Tell me about smart objectives when it comes to measuring content. So we look at content as what do we specifically want this piece to do? So again, is that we want to drive people to a website page do we want them to interact so it's really understanding the specific piece of content and what it's there to do we then look at the measurable so what are we going to focus on as our analysis afterwards so is that going to be the cta rate is it going to be the engagement rate is it going to be the number of comments it's understanding what you're going to use to measure that success there's no point in saying well that post was successful because you haven't set out what you we're going to measure that success on. So you need to really understand that at the beginning. We then look at how that's achievable. So how are you going to do that? Is it going to be through a video post? Is it going to be a carousel for web traffic? Different ad styles have different levels of how they're going to work. So it's understanding actually the right ad for the right purpose is where you need to look. We also look at maintaining relevancy. So again, it's making sure that your voice 
is a voice of authority and making sure that you are keeping that content in something that you should be talking about rather than jumping on a trend for the sake of jumping on a trend. And then time bound. So actually, how long is that going to run? How long do you want it to run? But also, how long is really an acceptable amount? So again, you don't want ad fatigue. You don't want your audience to see the same thing time and time again. You really want to make sure that you hit them with the right content at the right time and they engage with that. What have been the the shifts when it comes to some of those factors? So a lot of people found themselves with not much to do, obviously, in a lot of lockdowns. So time spent on social media increased dramatically. And again, with one of our automotive clients in particular, we actually looked at stripping back the content plan from what might have been more product focused and sales focused. We actually stripped that right back to what the audience were engaging most with, which was our um, entertaining style content. So that was really driving the fans to talk about their favourite cars and getting the community involved in more of a discussion. And it's what people were missing in their everyday lives. They weren't getting that social interaction. So we look to provide that in our content and really get that side of things moving again because that's what they asked for. Charlotte, do you think that trend will continue or do you think when the world returns to some normality, it will go back to some of the, the trends that we saw prior to pandemic so i think we're definitely going to see some peaks and troughs with this so it will go up and down it's a worldwide audience so depending on where each country is obviously we're going to see those habits change and i think over the next few months that's going to continue to be the case if we see it go up and down but i think a lot of people are understanding that actually they want to use their time for certain things and they are going to be very picky about how they spend that time so actually they'd much rather engage with a brand on social if they've already developed that two-way dialogue and if they enjoy that already I think I'll see, we'll see that continue normally anyway. So we'll come on to the importance of community in a little while. I just wanted to touch, Vanessa, on large brands versus small brands. So we're, we're very fortunate at Law to work with some really nice big blue chip clients, and that's great. But of course, there's a lot of smaller brands out there who need some advice on social media. So what advice would you give those I would say look at things like social scheduling and automation because what we know is that everybody is time poor, especially in the the smaller brands whereby you might have a marketing manager doing several different jobs. They might be doing social media, CRM, updating the website. Do look at the automation tools. This will save you time and energy. You can have a look at Hootsuite and even the scheduling tool on the platforms themselves, such as Facebook and Instagram. I would also advise only to focus on a few social media networks. It's very easy to hook onto the new platforms, such as TikTok. Everybody wants to be on TikTok. Unless you are targeting Generation Z and you have a huge marketing budget by creating daily content, including videos for TikTok, don't touch it. Start with maybe Facebook, Instagram and Twitter as standard. Also repurpose content where you can. It's amazing how much content there are on your brand websites, on blogs, on images that you can repurpose for Instagram and Facebook, but make sure you be true to the actual platform as well. Have a look at what's trending. You can actually pick these up 
directly on the platforms if you don't have social media, but see how relevant it is to your brand. A recent one was the baked bean challenge, which I don't know if you saw, it was about people actually positioning baked beans all over their brand. I mean, Ford even got involved and put it all over the boot, which was incredible. And then the actual post about the baked bean brand manager went viral on LinkedIn. But see if you can make it relevant to your brand, but also be sure not to piggy bank a trend that isn't relevant to your brand because it can actually have a detrimental effect. And as we've mentioned about every platform is a pay to play, don't be afraid of using a small budget to actually ensure that your content is working hard for the right audience. Because I suppose to Charlotte's point around pay to play, it's all very well posting for your community and that's great but of course they're already part of your community when actually there's a big opportunity out there to get more people in and unfortunately organically that doesn't always cut it now and maybe there's a an opportunity for some paid spend to really drive that volume of community guys i just want to touch on a topic at the moment which is a really interesting topic and i think goes against slightly the trends that we've been seeing in the pandemic but it's around digital detox so we're all massively exposed all the time relentlessly every hour of the day now but there seems to be a trend where people are are looking at detoxing from digital channels we know that some of the mobile phone providers like apple have, have, have put things in place now that will track your usage on the phone can you talk to me about two sides of the coin i suppose firstly what can people do to embrace that as a trend but also what brands can do to be mindful of that trend it's very important for your mental health not to just constantly be looking at the different size screens There are a lot of blogs, websites and even books detailing how you should minimise your time online. Recently, I read a really funny post which it said, if you think about it, many of us reward ourselves with watching the big screen while scrolling through the small screen after spending our 95 on the medium screen. And when I read it, I was just like, oh my goodness, that's literally me every single day. And as we're locked in our home quite literally right now, we are spending more and more time on screen time. So it is really important to have a look at these 24-hour challenges where it challenges you to have no online consumption. There's also apps today to reduce the notification and online access. For example, I make sure that I don't receive any notifications after eight o'clock on my social media. You know, after eight o'clock, that is my me time. I even try and not watch TV after nine o'clock. And it's amazing how much it actually makes you feel better. We also know that the blue light has an impact on your sleep. So more and more blogs out there are saying to you, switch off your phone at nine o'clock, don't touch it. Don't even have it on your bedside table which is quite tricky because a lot of us actually use it for our alarm. Very true. Yeah, and I think it can probably only benefit us as a population, as a generation, if we kind of reduce our our screen time down a bit. So I I hope personally that 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 trend will continue. Charlotte, how can brands be mindful of that as a trend? So I think it's really understanding that it's quality over quantity. There simply 
isn't any point in putting out a post an hour every hour of every day because your audience aren't there and they shouldn't be and it's understanding actually that from their point of view so it's making sure that when you are putting content out it's because it adds value to your audience it serves a purpose it's not just there to fill a space in your feed or your content calendar it's really understanding that actually this needs to work for our audience as much as it works for us good advice guys just last point today is around community so i get the sense that community now is quite high up on people's agenda and I think there's been a real groundswell around the importance of community. How does that translate into a a digital environment? When we post content our main priority is to create this two-way dialogue whether it be that we're communicating with our audience or our audience is actually communicating with themselves. You will see with a post that has more likes and more natural comments will actually receive the more organic reach rather than just a sales post. A lot of brands want to see lead generation or sales immediately. Social media, it's a marathon, not a sprint. We're working on three-year strategies right now where the first year is all about building that awareness. It's about getting the brand out there, building this community, understanding the audience. And as Charlotte has previously mentioned, even going to the point of asking the audience, what do they want to see from us? We can't guess it. A lot of influencers who are their own brands, you will see regularly, they will be asking their audience what they want to see. It's because they have got this established community. A brand is exactly the same as an influencer today. Really good point. Charlotte, anything to add to that? So I think I'd just add not to measure that community success based on your follower count. So don't see your follower count going up as an indication that that community is growing and building. Um, That's really not the metric that you should be measuring it against. So actually look at your engagements, look at your comments. Um, Are your fans not only willing to communicate with you and talk back to you, but are they actually communicating with each other? Because that's when you know you've really built that community on your page so when your fans are more than willing to have a conversation with each other as well as you you know that you've been successful in your strategy brilliant so i think that just about wraps up why there is so much crap content out in the world what brands can do about it and to be more relevant and some of the tactics that they can employ to create a really engaged community vanessa charlotte thank you so much for your time today thank Thank you. you for having us so that's it for episode one of the Open Mic podcast. Thank you to my guests, Vanessa and Charlotte from Law Creative and Victoria from Hampers for Heroes, and especially you for listening. Next time, we'll be talking to superstar communicator Susan Heaton-Wright about how to present ourselves more effectively online, and we'll be giving you the inside track on marketing automation. You've been listening to the Open Mic Marketing Podcast with me, Brett Samuels. See you next time.